When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply and crannies of your body's basement but this year manscape could help you get the perfect presentation on that beautiful face with the new beard hedger pro kit make sure you look your best this spring by using code bellyup20 to get 20 percent off and free shipping at manscape.com it's time to tame your mane with the beard hedger pro kit the sun is peeking back out which means you'll have to show your face in the daylight again so use the kit to make sure your scruff looks award-winning whether you got glorious beard flow or some smooth sleek cheeks the kit starts off with the beard hedger a waterproof cordless trimmer with a rotary wheel that gives you 20 hair cutting lengths all with one guard so no more messy drawers full of add-ons it also comes with the titanium-coated T-blades that are tough on hair but smooth on your face, leading to a single-stroke efficiency that brings satisfaction one stroke at a time. The Beard Hedger is a high-tech piece of art in a travel-sized package with a long-lasting battery, universal charging, and a strong motor. So what are you waiting for? Save 20% off and free shipping when you use the promo code BELLYUP20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the promo code Belly up 20 at manscaped.com. Focus on the face and use the Beard Hedger Pro Kit for the cleanest look in the game. This is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Mader. Giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy. Oh, it's Thursday night, which means it's time for another edition of the MD's Fantasy Football Show. Thanks for all of you who are tuning in live on our YouTube channel, on our social media feeds, at Show, and of course, you can always hit us up on our Facebook pages. Make sure you download the show after the podcast is over on your favorite podcast app. We're available on Apple and Spotify and iHeart and anywhere you download your favorite podcast apps at as always, I'm your host, Dan Mater. I have my co-host with me, Chris Dowhower. He's on time. It's a miracle. It only took from March until June for Chris to show up on time for a show. Hey, I, I make everybody wait for the, you know, the grand finale when I enter the scene, Dan. No, not, I'm really excited to be here. I'm glad I could be on time and really excited by our guest tonight. Absolutely. We're going to introduce him properly in just a second. But everybody, just so you know, we are covering the Team Profile Series, which continues with the AFC East today. Make sure you go back and check out the NFC East from last week if you did not get a chance to do so. And with no further ado, let's introduce our guest. And now, the moment you've all been waiting for. He's in the top right corner of your screen. He is the man who was in the top 10 of Fantasy Pro Rankers last year. And he writes for the quarterback list. Find him on social media at Drew Delaware. It is the Mr. Drew DeLuca! And he's muted. That's not oh. good. We got you on muted now. You're good. <laughs> there we go. Thanks for the intro. That's that's pretty spectacular. Hopefully, I can. He was that, he was so. speechless, Dan. He was just speechless yeah. on the intro. That's what it was. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, we'll go with that excuse. I like that. Yeah. 
All right, Drew. Thank you for coming on to the show. Very happy to have you on as we talk AFC East tonight. A lot of things to get there. One of the best divisions, probably from top to bottom, along with, I would say, the AFC North, uh, going into the NFL this year. And, of course, that means there's a lot of fantasy prospects to get out there. <clears throat> Excuse me. I get choked up after my big intro. <laughs> oh, that's a little bit better. Okay, now. We go to the AFC East. There wasn't a ton of coaching changes. It's usually how we kick this show off. But let's get to the ones where there were a couple of them. We got to talk about. The big one. I'm still choking. <clears throat> the big one is Bill O'Brien for the New England Patriots. We now get improvement from Matt Patricia. Oh, go figure. Matt Patricia, a defensive-minded guy, was not a good offensive coordinator. Who'd have thunk? <laughs> what a mystery that was. So now Bill O'Brien comes back. <laughs> Last time we saw him as a New England Patriot was 2011, where they went Donkey Kong. And we're going to talk about, in some ways, they went Donkey Kong and what that might mean for fantasy-wise. But, Drew, let's kick this off to you. Your first reaction of Bill O'Brien taking over this job, what do you expect out of him, and what kind of improvements do you expect to see out of this team? Well, it's at first I was kind of underwhelmed with the with the news. I mean, Bill O'Brien, the, the associations, you go back to the Texans and everything else. And and that one year, it's just it's just kind of a mixed bag with Bill O'Brien. Uh, but there is a connection there between him and uh, and uh, Mac Jones going back to Alabama. They didn't work together there. I think it was Jones's senior year. Uh, so we may not be excited necessarily about Bill O'Brien in general, but um, and he's kind of. Single-handedly single keeping DeAndre Hopkins, I think, from going there, who's sorely needed in that offense. Uh, but for a reason. Yeah, <laughs> but his quarterback's excited to see him, which is good. So that's, I think that's far more important than really what we think of Bill O'Brien in that uh, Mac Jones is excited that he's there. Uh, it's a familiar, a familiar face, uh, a guy who's used to working with him and, you know, and got a lot of great things out of him before. So uh, there is some reason for optimism. Um from a Mac Jones perspective, we'll talk more about that later, I would think. But uh, I think that that certainly raises his floor uh, a bit. So I, uh, and before they were, were wondering, oh, okay, well, is Bailey Zappi going to sneak in there? I don't, I don't think that's going to happen with Bill O'Brien there. Uh, I think this is Mac Jones' show this year. So uh, I, I am, uh, I think it brings some stability, I think, to the quarterback position a little bit there. But uh, I think there's, there's definitely some reason for, uh, you know, some cautious optimism. We'll put it that way. No, I like. I don't I think. Did. Yeah, I'm not crazy about Bill O'Brien. Go ahead, Chris. I was going to say, Dan. How? Well, I'm not crazy about Bill O'Brien either. I won't cut you off. But how can you not be excited not working with Matt Patricia, who's not only a terrible <laughs> offensive guy, he was terrible at defensive coordinator. That's not and no it was triggered for that. Quarterbacks. Coach and I was going to say, I, add Judge as your quarterback coach. Boy, <laughs> talk about success and set it to be failing. So yeah, I think anybody had a pulse that had an idea of offense or how to coach at all, I'm sure is welcome for Matt Jones right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one 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 hundred percent. Couldn't say it better myself. Last year, one of the slowest pace teams, about fifty six true offensive plays per game, only about twenty one points a game. I mean, six point four yards per attempt. Everything was just near the line of scrimmage. It was hard to watch, and I'm sure it was even harder to play for. I'm sure Mac Jones is definitely happy. So we definitely expect it to be at least more cohesion in the play calling for New England Patriots. What about the other coaching change that we have in the division? And that's Nathaniel Hackett, our good old buddy, Chris, Nathaniel Hackett, going from the Denver Broncos to the New York Jets. This time it worked, though. The team who got Hackett actually got Rodgers. The Broncos tried to do that. It fell in their face. This time it worked 
for the New York Jets. So, Chris, here's my question to you for when it comes to Nathaniel Hackett. I don't think I need to make the point again of how bad he is because now, thankfully, we have the Denver Broncos fresh in everybody's mind, so I don't have to go back to when he was in Jacksonville and how horrible he was for them as a play caller. Uh, and he gets no credit, obviously, when he was in Green Bay because LaFleur was calling all the plays there. But even as bad as he is, does Rodgers just make it okay? Is he good enough to just make it acceptable? Well, I'm also not going to sugarcoat this answer either, Dan. I don't think it was the floor calling the plays. He was that first year when Rodgers was not MVP with the back-to-back MVP seasons. I think that was Aaron Rodgers' offense. And everything I'm hearing this offseason, this is Aaron Rodgers' offense too. Whatever he asked for, he seems to get. So while I was definitely underwhelmed by the LaFleur signing, never understood why he got a job in the first place, other than he sat in the same room with Aaron Rodgers. Well, he gets to do it again this time, and he's going to get another chance to just kind of sit there and let the guy take over. The playmakers the Jets have in place, they should be talented enough to be able to make Aaron Rodgers effective. And as long as you know LaFleur doesn't try to mess it up, it should be okay. The only concern I do have, Dan, is pass protection. Um, you know, Russell Wilson got hit a lot last year in Denver, and this is something to kind of follow for that he got called out a lot last season for not going two tight end sets and keeping that three receiver sets. Well, that's what the Jets do a lot of too. And if they're not blocking for Aaron Rodgers, I saw guys getting a little older, not wanting to get hit out there. So that could be the downfall for them in some senses. Yeah, we all know Hackett doesn't really adjust all that well. I do want to point out, granted it was Rodgers, you know, back-to-back MVP years, but double the touchdown rate and had an extra yard per attempt when under Nathaniel Hackett. Even if it means just running to Rodgers' offense, it does seem to point to some improvements for Rodgers there. We'll get into more on that in just a second. Let's just skip ahead to the quarterback. We got to start with the guy who actually is the best for fantasy purposes and probably NFL at this point, and that's the Josh Allen quarterback, top of the division, number one for the Buffalo Bills. I don't know how much we need to get into Josh Allen. The only headline I could think of that we could talk about and would be intriguing from a fantasy standpoint is, is this the year that we cut back on Josh Allen's rushing and it's deja vu because we were having the same conversation, the same question last year. Is this the year they cut back? Cause he's got to be a franchise. And then what wound up happening is, well, Josh Allen ran for 124 times, which is the most he's had in his career. Don't forget he, the bills and the Bengals played one less game than everybody else. And he still had the most carries in his entire career. So even though we brought it up last year, it didn't really stop him from doing that. He had seven rushing touchdowns. He's never had less than six in a single season. He did get banged up down the stretch, which is something new. So I'm going to ask Drew this. Do you think this is the year Josh Allen simmers down a little bit on his rushing? Um, I'm not really too worried uh, necessarily with his with a build like his. He's 6'5", 238. So if he was more like Lamar Jackson – then I might have a lot more concerns about durability and things like that. So, I mean, I think his play style is going to lead to a little bit of being banged up here and there. But I, I do think his body's going to hold up a lot more to the pounding than I think, uh, you know, like a, a Lamar or an RG3 or somebody like that would. Um, but I'll tell you something else that's that's interesting. We're talking about this is the interior line additions on the uh, along the offensive line that the Bills made in the offseason. Um, Connor McGovern and then uh, Cyrus Torrance in the draft. That just tells me that the Bills want to smash it right down your throat, uh, especially in goal line situations. So I don't see a lot of t- touchdown regression, rushing touchdown regression for uh, for Allen. It also makes me think that we might be a little bit too low on uh, Damian Harris. That's another conversation for later on, I think. But I, I, I'm not really that that concerned, I'm not fading uh, his rushing ability too much. To me, he's still 
top two, top three quarterback, right, right up there with Mahomes and and uh, and Jalen Hurts. So, and I, I don't, I don't expect a big, expect a very big drop off at all. We're, we're definitely gonna get a Damian Harris uh, later. Don't, don't you guys worry. Good tease there by Drew. Uh, yeah, ultimately, even if he dips down from 124 to let's say 100, he's still a quarterback getting 100 rushes who throws the ball like Mahomes. And to your point, because of his big body, I don't think he's ever going to be a non-factor at the goal line. So Josh Allen, still my number one quarterback overall for fantasy football. Chris, do you have anything you want to add to that? I was going to say one of the ways he can make up some of those, you know, lack of rushes per se is be a little more efficient down the field. Josh Allen kind of struggled pushing the ball down the field, which you would expect the guy with such a great arm. But if he can get the bill down the field more consistently, more efficiently, then you might see those yards add up in a bigger touchdown plays. Josh Allen with Damian Harrison and different guys they added this offseason, and then as Drew brought up the offensive line, I think it's going to have an opportunity to have a more efficient season than he's had in the past. Well, let's. Uh, I'm going a little off script here with this one, but let's look at that real quick because last year it was the change of Ken Dorsey did seem to have a pretty major effect on the offense. I, I think they actually averaged like an entire field goal less and points per game when they made the switch to Ken Dorsey last year, it seemed like it did have an effect on the overall cohesion of the play calling, but it was also Ken Dorsey's first year calling plays. So I wondered, do we expect an improvement there? Does that help Josh Allen protect the ball a little bit more? Cause his turnovers were up. He wasn't chucking the ball down the field the same way he used to. Well, Dan, just real quick that, you know, Buffalo hit the ground running last year. They were, they were stomping everybody in the beginning of the season. So the offense was humming for a good portion. It was kind of petered out towards the season as they progressed. I think that's where you know Drew Bunch off the lineup. I think that kind of showed you a lot. Off the line is important in the NFL, and is, even if you're a great quarterback, you need somebody to kind of keep you out of your face. Well, Drew, yeah, hundred percent. I I agree with that completely. I mean, their pass blocking win rate was top five in the NFL last year, sixty seven percent, fourth fourth best in the league. The run blocking win rate, however, was twenty second. It was only seventy first. So that that right there tells me that they're they're taking a look at what where they're strong, where they're weak in the offensive line, and they're they're filling those holes in the off season. So uh, I I think. The, uh, the, the offensive line pass blocking certainly shouldn't get any worse for sure. Uh, so, but uh, yeah, I, I agree with you 100% on that, Chris. Yeah, Drew, you said it to kick it off, man. The, the Cyrus Torrance pick, we, we did the draft special. You're actually on with us for that for a little while. When, when the Bills got Torrance, I just like, I just threw my hands up in the air. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Like, does nobody get how great of a fit and what that's going to do for this Bills team? And we'll talk more about that because he's going to have a big impact, I think, on Damian Harris a little bit later in the show. Let's talk about the man, the myth, the legend, the Mr. Savior of the New York Jets, Mr. Aaron freaking Rodgers, finally getting out of Green Bay, following in Brett Favre's footsteps, goes to the New York Jets, gets his coordinator, which means he gets to run the offense now. All right, Chris, what's your expectations for Aaron Rodgers? Does he bounce back after his worst statistical career year across the board in a new uniform with the New York Jets. Yeah, this one's a struggle for me, Dan. We talked about this in off the air before. And, you know, Aaron Rodgers, the guy I defended a couple of years back when people thought he was done then before the MVP seasons, and he kind of showed everybody what he had. I'm a little worried from what I saw last year on tape. The guy looked like a little bit like Tom Brady, who guy just doesn't want to get hit necessarily, get a little older, doesn't want to step into the throws the same way. But the talent around him, and the attention he's getting right now, I feel like this is going to be rather be a you know, superb season by Aaron Rodgers or just a complete, absolute uh, debacle. I feel like there's no in-between for this. So I, I love the opportunity for Aaron Rodgers. I would take the shot on him, but I do have that concern that he could just blow up, and I wouldn't be surprised if that happened just as much either. I don't buy the idea 
that Aaron Rodgers is done. Everyone's trying to make the argument that he's no longer the MVP candidate. He's only a year removed from back-to-back MVP years. The big difference for me was the broken thumb. And I think it shows up in the statistics, too. Last year, okay, this guy had, I think it's eight fumbles. Yes, he had eight fumbles. He only had seven combined the previous two seasons. I think that's a direct reflection of the thumb injury. 64% completion percentage compared to 69% over the previous two seasons. These are things that stick out to me. It says, yeah, you were not 100% yourself. And mentally, I do think he was a little checked out. I think he was done playing for Matt LaFleur in Green Bay. Now you give me an Aaron Rodgers on a New York Jets team that definitely, from what I can see, is motivated to prove something. The guy's actually participating in spring practices. Like, look out. <laughs> what, what do you think, Drew? No, I think I, I think the weaponry is going to help him a lot. I really do. I think I think having Garrett Wilson and the collection he's got around him, I think, is really going to help elevate him uh, significantly. I think not having uh, Devontae Adams, I think, was uh, was a big part of why Rodgers kind of fell off a little bit as well. He lost his primary target, um, and there wasn't a whole lot else around, really. I mean, you're, you're looking at Alan Lazard playing a key role, and somehow he's back again in New York. But uh, but I am I am concerned uh, about the offensive line uh, compared to what was in Green Bay. Uh, there's a great article by Jacob Wayne out there in lineups.com that features data from PFF, ESPN, Football Outsiders, and uh, the rankings for Green Bay uh, this this uh, coming year, uh, looking at the seventh best offensive line, and he's going to the 26th in the at the Jets. So Jets are not a good offensive line, uh, and, and uh, so you talk about a guy not wanting to get hit. Now you're behind a worst offensive line, uh, and uh, he's what 40 years old now. He's in, as a guy who's getting up there in age myself, you, when you get hit, it tends to hurt a lot more, <laughs> and the pain, and the injury takes a lot longer to heal. So. Uh, you add in the Nathaniel Hackett situation as well. And I think Hackett really kind of got by a lot on Aaron Rodgers' ability to kind of make plays and his wizardry. And, uh, you know, you got to wonder if that's if he still got it or not. So, he, like you said, Chris, I think it's an all or nothing situation. I think uh, he's either got it or he doesn't. And uh, I think if he, and, uh, he makes, brought up some good points, Dan, with, about the thumb and uh, those kinds of things. And he's a smart player, too. He's very, very smart. One of the smartest quarterbacks I think probably has played in, 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 since I can remember. Um, so I think he, I, I think he's going to be able to find a way to win games. I just don't know from a fantasy perspective if he's going to be able to give us everything we want. Uh, so that I'm a little bit more lukewarm on the market, um, and I, th- I do think he's got a little bit lower floor than than uh, what we collectively believe. Yeah, from a fantasy standpoint, he's definitely on that 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 fringe back end QB one, QB two area. It kind of just depends on how you think this season is going to go with the weapons around him. As far as where is he at fantasy wise, I tell you what though, I'm fine with taking a flyer on him. He's in that tier group of quarterbacks mm-hmm. that him. The next guy we're going to talk about in a second is Tua Tagovailoa. Like I have those guys kind of lumped together. You could be back end guys. I could take super late, and I do have top ten hopeful potential for you if I take you later in my draft, and I do decide to wait at quarterback. Uh, but I will say this about the offensive line. If Vera Tucker stays healthy, Makai Beckton, you want to make the argument he can't stay healthy, fine, whatever. If Vera Tucker can stay healthy this year, you're going to see an entirely different offensive line. And I think that's really it's all it's going to take for them to go from one of the worst to one of the best this season. Uh, Chris, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say real quick, uh, the one things that do give me some hope about Aaron Rodgers and the upside is one, I think he should be motivated and one of the things you've heard him talk about was, you know, it's getting kind of hard always just using all the other teams passing on you as motivation. And we know some of the greats, they've got to have something kind of extra chip on their shoulder and getting kind of past. He's, he's been making this idea that Green Bay didn't want him. He's been pushing that narrative all offseason. I think he might be trying to psych himself up a little bit to try to go out there and show out. 
And then I also think that you have a, a, an opportunity for this guy to show like Tom Brady did where Tom Brady was getting a lot of doubt. Was he done? Was he going to be able, but, but putting in a different situation quite often makes those guys refocus and re kind of get back to the basics in a lot of ways. And that can be really successful for some, some guys. So I do think there is an upside for Aaron Rodgers. You know, I, I'm with you, Dan. I take that shot. It's just, I do could also see it's New York. It could blow up. <clears throat> I have a little bit of faith also in off the line. Just in the fact that Aaron Rodgers done a good job of kind of coaching up off the lines throughout the years. You know, these guys all don't come out you know, necessarily always highly touted, but he does a great job of kind of finding cohesion. He's good at checking in the play, right play calls. So I think that's also going to help some of the things for this line as well. Whatever you got to do to lie to yourself, psych yourself up. I'm all for it because it seems to work with some of the greats anyway. Let's talk about you. Chris. Let's talk about your boy real quick because you you love Tua. You love you some Tua. I'm always a little bit more hesitant on it, especially for a guy that hasn't played more than 13 games in a single season. He's been a pro for several years now. What do you think is going to happen this year with Tua? Do you have any more confidence in him? You think he can actually find a way to go to distance this time around? I do. Look, I understand that people have the concerns about the injury and he goes back to college, but all these injuries are, have not been necessarily connected. They've all been kind of odd injuries and different things he's kind of dealt with. And getting smacked on your head and knocked backwards, I mean, I think that could happen to any quarterback out there. It's really hard to kind of overcome concussions. We've seen some of the greats get knocked out of the game with from concussions. So I, I can't knock Tua on the fact that I think he's, you know, not he's too weak or he's too small. You know, Bryce Young went number one. I think Tua Tagalo is definitely bigger and stronger than Bryce Young is. So this narrative that he can't take the hits and he can't be out there, I don't buy it. What I do like to see is he's got to find a niche that he had in college where he was using his legs a lot more than he was willing to do in the pros so far. Maybe that's afraid of being hurt. Maybe that's afraid of different things. But he's got to kind of let it hang out. And everything I kind of see this offseason, I think, too, has got in his mind that, you know, this is his shot. And if he's going to get hurt again, he probably will retire. But I think he's going to try to go out his way. And if he does that, I think he lets it kind of, you know, play loosely. A guy I kind of compare him to is like a Dak Prescott. When Dak Prescott doesn't use his legs, Dak Prescott's not the same kind of quarterback. Two is the same kind of quarterback. If you can give him, you know, the accuracy and run around a little bit, he's not a sitting statue. I think that he's going to help himself be able to stay, you know, healthier, even though that sounds kind of counterproductive with guys running around, but it does help that some of his quarterbacks. So he really get hit and hurt outside the pocket. A lot of times in the pocket, they're getting hurt. And then the accuracy and the weapons. I mean, look, he was humming with us offense, and he had just one offseason with all those guys together. Tyreek Hill got traded you know, for that team mid-offseason, mid so it wasn't like he's had a whole lot of familiarity with the weapons he had. He had Jalen Waddle for a season. He had Tyreek Hill for a season, possibly a Dalvin Cook or somebody else being added to this backfield. Weapons are in place, and then the key is offensive line continues to get better. And I think that, you know, that left tackle is going to be huge for them. If he can be out there more than Armstead, you know, he's, he's not hurt. He's one of the best there is, so... I think there's a lot of opportunity for this Dolphins team to be better, and the defense should be better too. So I, I like to a lot this season, and I continue to be high on them. Yeah, the only thing I play devil advocates on is that once you get concussions, it is easier to pick up more concussions. So Good that point. is the one point where I do think that could be related into this season as well. Maybe those new helmets that they've been working on will count for something this year. Let's hope that it does, because he definitely has the weapons. I mean, Drew, I'm going to ask you this question. I got Tua Tagovailoa right now as my QB 12. I have him one spot ahead of Aaron Rodgers. Uh, that's two spots ahead of Geno Smith, uh, Daniel Jones, Anthony Richardson, all kind of between 12 and 16 right now. W do you agree with that order, or would you have two in the back end of that tier? Oh, I've got him above the, those guys, all of them, pretty solidly. So I'm, I'm actually a little higher on him. I've got him in my top 10. Okay. Um, so I, I, I'm with you, Chris. I'm very bullish on him. I do. I recognize the floor. We talked about the floor. Aaron Rodgers has a floor. 
So does Tua, and we that's I think that's pretty. We've already kind of hit that uh, pretty well there. But I do think as an ADP where he's at, you know, where he's going, I think he's definitely a gamble that I'm willing to take because you're not spending a high pick on him necessarily. And we're getting at where you're getting at him, you're getting him a guy who's stealing his top three to five overall. I mean, teams are trying to tank for this guy because of his talent and what he what he brings to the table. Uh, and no, I think his talent's undeniable, and his even in, he's doing it in the pros too since 2016. Jordan Vanek of the 33rd team put out something about a month or so ago that a minimum 100 attempts uh, since 2016 against light boxes, six or fewer defenders in the box. He's first in uh, yards per attempt, second in touchdown rate, second in air yards per attempt. I mean, the guy's just getting it done in the deep ball. Uh, you know, he's got Waddle, he's got uh, Tyreek Hill. So, I mean, there's just so, there's just so many reasons, I think, for – to, to be optimistic about that ceiling and just the question that the, the $23.2 million question is, can he, can he stay healthy? And, and that's it. But uh, no, I don't think there's any reason to doubt uh, his upside or his ability uh, or his ceiling to finish in the top five quarterback. So I feel that's why I feel pretty good about having him solidly in the top 10. Just to throw this in there real quick before we move on. Best ball, one of my favorite stacks to do with him and Tyreek Hill because you can draft to a much later on. Uh, we don't spend too much time talking about Mac Jones, but I do have this, this protection thing in my heart for Mac Jones because I couldn't stand the people who are writing him off or all of a sudden saying he's a bust because he had to deal with Matt Patricia and Joe Judge last year. I definitely think he bounces back this season. But here's the thing, from a fantasy standpoint, we could have an NFL conversation about Mac Jones and how good I think he is, but from a fantasy standpoint, even his rookie year, when he goes to the Pro Bowl, he's still only QB 18. I don't project this offense to be a prolific offense, and he doesn't give you much with his legs. So outside of super flex leagues, is he on your radar at all, Drew? Not really, no. I mean, I think in a super flex league or in best ball, I think you know he might have some utility there as well. Um, and it's just there's just not a whole lot of reasons to get excited about his ceiling. I don't think with what he's got around him there. Um, I mean, if you have if you like Tyquan Thornton, maybe I mean <laughs> he's a good late late round guy. He's a nice, cute little late stack, I guess, if you wanted to get there, do that. That's, those possibilities are there. But uh, I mean, he's an efficient passer. He's got a high completion percentage. He's he's accurate with the football, but he doesn't offer anything at all with his legs, uh, which definitely hurts the floor. It hurts the ceiling a little bit and the floor a little bit. Um, but, um, you know, it's, I think a lot has to go right. I think with the wide receiving core, the offensive line for him to have the kind of ceiling is really going to get me excited to take him in a one quarterback format. All right, let's move to the running backs. Uh, Chris, I apologize. I'm going to ask you this. I've been pounding you on the Jets questions, but we're going to keep it rolling. Anyway, we got to talk about Brees Hall, baby. Oh, I'm so tantalized by Brees Hall. It's, it's a very tricky situation, okay? I don't want to get burned. I got burned on Dobbins last year. I'm, I'm determined not to get burned on something like that again this year. But everybody keeps telling me, and Chris, you know this, we've had Brian Scott, Angelus Podcast, on the show, and he's been pretty adamant about this, that Brees Hall will be good to go week one and will be back to himself by late September, early October. And as no reluctancy whatsoever in drafting Brees Hall early. Right now, his ADP in FFPC is about RB10. He's going about the back end of the second round, early third round territory. I think for me, that's the sweet spot. If I could get Brees Hall in the early third round, that's where I'm smashing it. That's what I'm all about. I will take a chance there because odds are I either already have an RB1 or I have two really good receivers. I will take the chance there on Brees Hall in the third round. That seems to be the sweet spot. The second round is where I get a little bit a little, a little uncomfortable. 
It was a clean ACL tear. And he only had seven games played. I didn't realize this. He only started or is credited for starting two of those seven games. And like I didn't, I didn't know that at all. That, that's crazy to me when I looked it up. And of course, 15 to 16 opportunities on average between those seven games, he was the RB6. So we have ranges of a lot more volume his way, better offensive play coming his way, more games played coming this way. And clearly, the guy has top six or even better potential. So, Chris, the question is this. Where is the comfortable spot that you have to draft Brees Hall this year? I think you hit the nail on the head, Dan, with you know, looking around the third round. I think Brees Hall can be a league winner. The key, the key is because they're going to be, are you patient enough to kind of take advantage of that? And we saw that similar with Kim Akers and J.K. Dobbins last year. Both guys started off, to, you know, really terribly, actually, and weren't themselves the same players for most of the season. But during the stretch, both those guys, you know, showed out. And if you were, had both of them on your team, you were happy. But if you had drafted them, you're probably miserable for most of that season. So I think that's where Brees Hall is going to be a guy that if you can kind of afford with your first two picks and you're feeling really good what you have in place and you could take a shot on the, you know, having that home run hitter as a second running back, you go for it. But if you're feeling a bit weaker in the draft and maybe you're sitting in that third round and make, I really got to make sure I have a good player, Brees Hall could be a guy who could tank you early in the season. So I think it's a guy that you're looking at as, you know, as a luxury pick in some senses. I think there's other guys on the board that I like a lot of different players, especially value-wise at running back. So I don't know if I'm going to jump on him in the third round per se, but I do think it's a guy that, Talent-wise, you know, when we talk about draft specials we've done, Brees Hall is definitely my number one running back on that board. He's come back from previous injuries similar to this. He has shown an ability to have that burst, but he is predicated on his speed and his ability to kind of hit the extra gear and get him to go to open the field. And you don't know if that's something that's going to naturally just come back to you right off the bat. So I'm a little cautious, but I think if you're going to take him, you're just thinking to yourself, I'm not using him for the beginning of the season and banking on him, but he's a guy that I want to make sure I have on my roster for come money time. I will say, reported, he got up 22 miles an hour in OTAs the other day. Uh, Drew, where's your confidence level at? Uh, Mike, I'm not as optimistic, I think, as some of our Brees Hall. Injury optimism is just not my friend. I've been playing fantasy football since the 1990s, and it's it's <laughs> it rarely does it work out in my favor when I bet on uh, you know a player coming back from a major injury. So I love him in Dynasty. I love him long-term. I have zero doubt that he's going to – uh, rebound in the long run and be a great player. I just have concerns about him being able to offer the utility and the, the level of performance that we are expecting from him, uh, especially in the first half of the season. So uh, I, I'm, I'm expecting him to kind of maybe be ready in the beginning, first few weeks in September. Uh, if he is, he might get the football a few times. So I'm expecting, a, you know, a ramped up workload. I don't expect him to really kind of be himself until, you know, towards the end of the fantasy playoffs. But the problem is, is that in order to have him on your team, you're, where he's going right now is ADP. You're having to spend a really, really high pick on a guy that you're probably not going to get the maximum usage out of for probably half a season, really. Uh, and uh, you, then you're really kind of hamstringing yourself. The, like Chris, you said it. There's a lot of other guys on the board uh, and running back in other positions, too, uh, where I feel a lot more confident with what I'm going to get for them out of a 17-game run. So um, I'm all over Brees Hall and Dynasty, but I definitely I definitely have some concerns from a redraft perspective where his ADP is right now. So if he slips, if he falls a few rounds, sure, I'll take him. Um, but, you know, given where he's going, I mean, you're looking at, you know, guys like, you know, your your uh, your DK Metcalf that area that that area of the draft you know those the, that quality receiver uh, I'd rather have that uh, I'd rather have some of the other running backs that are going to be on the board sitting around there um, than than take a shot on a guy coming back from major knee injury. Yeah. To you and Drew, are you, oh, sorry. 
Good. Uh, are, you, are you guys thinking that maybe even he's not healthy because he has Aaron Rodgers in his offense, he might just fall in a couple of touchdowns, you know, early in the season, and that could be, make him somebody that still, you know, salvages his value in a sense because of the offense he's a part of. One hundred percent. I mean, that's for me, Andrew. God, no, I mean, that's a fair point. I think it's possible, but again, you're looking at, you know, I think you're kind of waiting for, you know, if this happens, then then he could be productive. I'd rather have a guy. If I'm taking a a, a guy in the first three or four rounds, I want him to be productive, no matter what the situation is. And I don't, I don't feel, I don't get that feeling with Brees. At least not for the first probably five six game weeks of the season, maybe even the first eight. So, well, this is where I'm a little bit more confident, I guess, than you guys are, and I'm I'm pinning this on Brian. So, Brian, if you're if you're watching or listening to this show, and if this doesn't pan out, I'm blaming this all on you, buddy. And we'll have him back on the show again soon. Uh, but I'm going with Chris. You kind of just laid it out there. I don't think Brees Hall, no matter what the scenario is, if he's out there and active, is worse than a top 24 running back. And if I have to wait two or three weeks for him to pop into being that RB1, especially in a situation, again, I laid it out the third round. Third round is my sweet spot because I either have an elite running back already or I have two elite wide receivers. I'm okay with it in that scenario if he's going to be ready and back to his normal self, I should say, by the beginning of October where the offense, I think he could score a couple scores in the meantime during that period. Does that answer your question, Chris? Yeah, I think that's what I was kind of curious. because, I, Like I said, I don't think he's necessarily going to be Brees Hall right off the bat. I think you know, even if you're running 22 miles an hour, still you're not having live fire, so to speak, where guys are coming and hitting you. But what you do see the difference is, is if you're just falling into easy touchdowns because you're on, you know, inside the red zone again, and you can get some easy garbage touchdowns, that can kind of salvage your value early on if you're not the same explosive guy that you were yet. All right, let's move this conversation to the New England Patriots. Let's talk about Ramondre Stevenson. He is the first bell cow we've seen the Patriots have since Corey Dillon. That's how long it's been since the Patriots have had a bell cow running back. Does that continue? That's the number one question I, sh- I think should be on everybody's mind when evaluating Ramondre Stevenson and where they and where they should take him. And I know there's a lot of hoopla out there about, well, nope, they're, they got Bill O'Brien back. They're going to go back to the old Patriot ways, which is going to be a, a rotation. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, Rotate with who? Their depth <laughs> chart is James Robinson, Ty Montgomery, Pierre Strong. James Robinson looks toast to me. If I had a dollar for every time I heard Ty Montgomery was going to be a thing in the passing game in the offseason, <laughs> I would have to do this anymore. So I don't, I don't buy the idea that he's not going to be a bell cow. What do you think, Drew? I, I agree. I mean, I think there's it's fair to speculate a little bit, given what you've laid out there about it's been since Corey Dillon. Uh, you know, and we're talking about Bill Belichick doesn't like showing his hand. And so you never know from one week to the next, he could be a bell cop one week and then game plan happens. And then all of a sudden we, we get out of nowhere. Ty Montgomery has a seven or eight catch game. And then we don't hear from him again for three or three or four weeks. So that's kind of like the bin the bill of the, the, the way the Patriot way. So I don't discount that that's a possibility at all. I think it's reasonable to kind of keep that in the conversation, but I do think he is the odds on favorite to, to be the bell cow or at least the primary ball carrier where he's going to, I guess for our purposes from a fanny's perspective, be a bell cow. Uh, unless of course you do believe in, you know, uh, Ty Montgomery or the ghost of James Robinson being what he what he once was in Jacksonville before the injury. Uh, but the, the bigger concern for me is the rest of the division, both some of the best rent stop win rates uh, in the entire league. So you're looking all three of those other opponent, opponents. You got you're looking at at uh, Miami and Buffalo. Buffalo is uh, was seventh. Uh, Miami was eighth and uh, the Jets were second. Uh, the best in win uh, win rate in the league. So that's the the only concern I have uh, is that you know 
getting getting that utility. And you talk about how the the Patriots had a, a pretty low uh, percentage of passes run per game, or total passive plays run per game. Uh, you, you, hopefully, the volume, you know, the split that's there is going to give him enough where uh, where he's going to be, you know, able to produce where we think he is. I do. Uh, I am bullish on him. I do think he's going to be a, a very solid player. I think his his ADP is pretty fair. I think about where he's going. Um, and, but, but yeah, so I do think it's fair to, to keep that, you know, speculation in mind. I think if, if they, we didn't have that, I think you're probably going even higher than where he is right now. Well, I'm, I'm with you during the sense of I'm all about jumping up more speculation just to drive his price tag down so <laughs> I can go ahead and draft him come August. I'm, I'm all about that. Uh, but, but that's definitely not what I think is going to actually be the reality of the situation. Yeah. The only thing that used to frighten me a little bit was the idea that maybe the Patriots would sign a Leonard Fournette type. Because I can see them looking at him and saying like, oh, look at that, LeGarrette Blunt, 2.0. But I think the fact that they went with James Robinson negates that possibility. What, what do you think, Chris? No, I mean, I think it's a possibility that could still happen. We, we've seen, you know, the Patriots definitely, when their guys get cut, especially as the season, you know, preseason ends, you know, some of these veteran guys out there, they usually bring somebody in. They're constantly bringing guys in throughout the season. So I can see that being a possibility. But I think what overall, what Roger Stephen has going for him is, number one, talk about how pathetic the offense was when we're talking about Matt Jones and what they were basically doing. Ramondre Stevenson was extremely productive despite what was going on around him. He can catch the ball. He can pass protect. He can run the ball hard. And what I will give Bill O'Brien some credit for is while he's not always you know, the smartest guy in the world, he has kind of rode the guys who've been good for you know throughout his career in a sense, where he has let a lot of guys be a bell cow if they kind of shine through. Even the Jamal Gibbs, for example, you know, got drafted this past offseason – he turned him into the guy that he basically featured in his backfield instead of rotating guys in Alabama. So he is willing to kind of give you the guy the ball if you show that you're the best player. I think there'll be some, you know, definitely other guys mixed in there. That's is the Patriot way. But even if you get 75-25 touch, you're really happy with what Ramondre Stevens can bring for you. And like I talked to the offense, the biggest thing I think is he had five touchdowns last year. This guy's 240, 250 pounds. He's a beast out there. I can't see him just getting five touchdowns again this season. So I think that can salvage a lot of things that could happen from him as well. Well, the offensive line, I think, should be a lot better, too, there in New England. Hey, let's move on to an offensive line. We already talked about improving in the Buffalo Bills. We'll lump Damian Harris and James Cook into this same conversation. Um, but we'll lead off with Harris. Does he have double-digit touchdown potential? And then I'll add a layer of this as we kick it over to Drew. James Cook, is he truly a 1A, 1B, or is he just a passing situational player? Uh, I, I like James Cook. I really do. Um, I'm a little bit more bullish than most, but I, I think a lot of it depends on do they bring in Dalvin? Do they bring in Kareem Hunt? Do they bring in Zeke or Fournette? And there's a lot of players out there. So we talked about, um, you look at what the Eagles do, uh, you know, that's, a, a, a they bring in, they're constantly bringing in guys and they're constantly uh, doing that. And I, I expect the Patriots you mentioned do that. So I think a, the mark of a, of a, of an upper echelon team is they're always constantly bringing in fresh blood to compete. Uh, so I, I do worry that they could bring somebody in that could kind of muddle up that backfield a little bit. Um, but I, I believe in his athletic profile. Uh, I don't like betting against backs from Georgia. Uh, <laughs> he's, uh, I, he's, I think he's the real deal, um, but I don't know that he's going to get the kind of volume to be, to have the ceiling uh, to be, you know, a, def a definite RB one. Uh, is it within his range of outcomes, especially if something happens to, uh, to Damian Harris? Yes. I do think that that's a possibility. Um, especially with that interior line, 
being upgraded as we talked about. Uh, so I, I do, th I, I'm definitely not out on James, on James Cook or Harris. I'm, I'm actually kind of like both of them where they're going, uh, in that offense. So, um, uh, you look at Damon Harris, uh, you asked about the double, double digit upside. I think he's got that. I definitely do. And that offense, I think he could be the, he could be the Jamal Williams of 2023 easily. Um, so I don't like paying for touchdown upside though, but given where he's going, his ADP is right at 125, 130, somewhere in that range, uh, right around after like. Uh, Jarek McKinnon, kind of that that area. The yeah, draft, you're not think, paying for him. Yeah, no, I think I think it's a great spot for him right there. So if if he starts creeping up, then I might back off a little bit. But where he's going right now, I think he's a buy. I think that I think that for me that was that was the key because you look at his career touchdown rate is about four point four percent or so. So if you calculate off of that, he needed like two hundred forty seven carries, which isn't going to happen in in this offense. He's not going to get two hundred forty seven carries. But does his touchdown rate take a big hit, jump up because he could be the Jamal Williams? They get inside the five, and this kind of tied into my question earlier with Josh Allen. Do we think maybe he takes a little bit less off his plate? Or in general, are the Bills just a much better physical team that there's just going to be new opportunities for these guys mm -hmm. to score next year? I think all of that is possible. With James Cook, I'm not as confident as you are, but I do have him ranked at RB36 and Harris at RB32. I'm one of the few that actually has it in that order, but mm -hmm. I do still have them as back-end RB3s, basically right kind of next to each other in that same tier. My problem with James Cook is that he had an opportunity to take away from Devin Singletary last year, and he couldn't do it. Now, I really like the player. I really just wish he was 10 pounds heavier. So I just I question how much he'll be able to give him. And then on top of it, if he's not getting all the carries or he's not splitting a decent amount of carries with Damian Harris, you say, okay, well, he should get most of the passing game work. But as we've seen with the Bills, and you can make the argument because maybe it's because they haven't had the running back they've wanted to do it with to this point just yet, and James Cook was only a rookie last year, but they're not a team that checks the ball down. I've had to have the kind of same conversation last week when we talked about DeAndre Cook going to Philadelphia Eagles. They're right back-to-back, -back, these two teams with each other, as far as not checking the ball down to running backs. It's just not something they do. It's not something Josh Allen does. So I don't know how many, how many opportunities – in that part of the, the game, does he really even have? Uh, Chris, what do you make of it when you look at these two? You know, I first saw him very bullish in Damian Harrison. And just to talk about what he did, I think it was a couple of years ago, where he did lead the league touchdowns with the Patriots, splitting time with somebody else in the backfield. So this isn't something new to him. So he having an opportunity to be you know, very, very productive. And he's, his guy had five yards per carry, I believe, that season as well. So it's not a guy who's just falling you know, forward for three yards and getting touchdowns only. Damian Harris is an explosive player and a hard runner. Buffalo hasn't had a guy like that. One of the guys you alluded to earlier in our show at that interior offensive line and product and the improvement that they're making and the conscious effort they've made to try to improve the interior line. Adding the kid from Florida to me is just a huge, huge move. I think he's a stud. I think he's an absolute guy who's going to be a game changer along the offensive line for them. And having that push up the middle, I think makes all these guys better. I think James Cook's another guy who I'm not necessarily as high as what you probably are and where you talent wise. I was always kind of a guy with more of the, he was, you know, what did he really do other than have a great, uh, you know, championship game in a sense for Georgia. But I do think that he has that Devin Singletary role pretty well, that he's a guy that you saw Buffalo a couple of years ago back, try to rotate those two backs pretty consistently. Devin Singletary was a guy you could have your flex option, a guy that you could have in your lineup and not hurt you. So I think James Cook's going to be a flex option. I think Damian Harris is going to be a guy that you can pretty much write in for a touchdown opportunity each week. So I love both these guys and the value, particularly with the offensive line. Chris, let's stay with you. We got a, a complicated uh, situation here. We got to dissect. We have the Miami Dolphins backfield, and I have it in the notes here. Solve it, like just solve it for a million dollars. Solve the Dolphins backfield, but I, I want you to do it from two ways. And Drew and I talked about this off the show. 
do it from the standpoint of today they don't have Dalvin Cook on the roster. What do you expect if it's just Raheem Mostert, Jeff Wilson, Devon Achain? And then quickly talk about if Dalvin Cook does join the roster. What do you expect out of that? So the first part, I think, is, you know, one of those old Patriot situations we're kind of alluding that we don't want to deal with Bill O'Brien. It's going to be kind of who's the guy of the week and has the hot touch and who's healthy in a sense. You know, Jeff Wilson Jr. hasn't been the healthiest of guys. Raheem Mostert hasn't been the healthiest guys. They got two guys who there's number one, number two running backs who basically have not made it through an entire season, and I can't even tell you how long. Jeff Wilson Jr. is going to be great for three to four games. That's what we see every year. We saw that in San Francisco. We saw that last year. That's just kind of his M.O. Mostert has the most ability of all those guys, but as we know, once he gets over those 12, 15 carries a game, it starts becoming an issue. What I was excited and while I would take the stab of all those guys is Mostert because he was throwing the ball last year. And I think that was a key thing where you saw some value out of him when he wasn't actually getting handed the ball. Miami was finding ways to get their running backs the ball. With those receivers, you're going to have a lot of easy check downs for some of these running backs to make something happen. So I do think there's opportunity for some value to be found there. If I'm going to pick one of the guys, put a gun to my head, I'm going to take Mostert. But I wouldn't you know, be opposed to maybe rostering both those guys. We've done that in the past, Dan. You know, we've looked at guys in backfields and we're willing to kind of take that gamble. Of, I'll take two of these guys and see which one kind of pans out. So if you're going to take a Moser, you can take a Stapo, Jeff Wilson Jr. I know there's a lot of hype around the kid they drafted. He's fast. That's great. He can't pass protect. He can't do a lot of things that you're going to be asked to do for this, this offense. So I think he's not a guy that I'm going to be banking on or looking forward to get too much out of right now. And if Dalvin Cook's in the backfield, let's be real. Dalvin Cook by far is the most talented guy in that backfield right off the bat. Shouldn't be a question what the other guys are going to be. They'll be kind of complimentary players in my opinion. Dalvin would be the man. I think he's the guy that you know you definitely would have in your backfield. And I think it would be a 75-25 split. You've kind of seen that you know, MO with the 49ers and other teams that you know have that, that that system where they like to rotate the backs until somebody just shows I'm that much better. You know, look at Bryce Hall, we talked about for the Jets. And while he didn't start as many games, he became phasing out Michael Carter, phased out some of the other backs because you can't take the guy off the field when they're that good. Yeah, you hit it the nail on the head when you talk about Devon Agent. You're fast, awesome. What do we talk about all the time with playing time? You can't pass protect. You're not going to play early. Plain and simple. And uh, as Drew did in the screen, itty bitty 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 fell. Okay, <laughs> I don't care. He put on five what one ninety two. Yeah, you tell me he's going to sustain that weight during the season. I'll show you a liar. Okay, that that was plain and simple. It's just not going to happen. As far as with Jeff Wilson and Raheem Mostert, the usage with these guys once Jeff Wilson came into the fold was, was freaking dead even. I mean, Wilson had 10.5 carries a game and three targets. Mostert had 10 carries a game with 2.8 targets a game. And those, and those are, I just took that from the games in which they both played together. I know that was a small sample size. There was a lot of games where one was hurt and the other one was out there and all that good stuff. But point more so is this. I am nowhere near... With the market, when it comes to the Von A chain, I do not foresee him having a significant enough role where he's on your fantasy radar. He'll play special teams. Mike McDaniel probably have a few gimmick formations and plays for him, but I look at him very much how the Cowboys used Tavon Austin. That's what I think Devon A chain gets used, at least for this year. On the flip side of that, with Dalvin Cook, Chris, I think you hit the nail on the head. If Dalvin Cook's there, I don't care that his efficiencies have gone down. It's true, they have, but he fits the system well, and he's just much better than anything the Dolphins have in that backfield. I do think he would be the man, and he would immediately jump. Right now, I have him at 24. And Drew, you can tell me how you feel about this. Right now, I have a 24. He'd probably jump into my top 18 if he were to join the Miami Dolphins. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's fair. Uh, I, I don't. I mean, I think you're right. Uh, I think Chris, you nailed this whole backfield perfectly in that analysis. Uh, and I think you're right. I think uh, Cook comes in, he instantly becomes the alpha. Uh, you know, was was the old saying, if you have two quarterbacks, you have none. I think that's that's kind of the situation here with Miami. I think that's why they're looking at Dalvin Cook. You have, you have three guys that, like you said, you know, Jeff Wilson's always injury prone. Mostert is also injury prone and old. Uh, then you have a, a chain who's tiny. So I, I just. I think you're right. I think Cook comes in. I think, and that's and that's a high volume uh, potentially offense. And I think it's very friendly to a, a you know an alpha running back. Uh, and it's going to be very efficient with uh, with two a stretch in the field with uh, Tyreek and and Waddle. I think I think it's definitely reasonable to sit to look at him as an as an every week starter as a top twenty four running back if that's where he lands. Yep. There you go. So I we asked to solve the Dolphins' backfield. No one else has been able to do it. The three of us just did it right here. <laughs> All right, let's move into these wide receivers with the Buffalo Bills, starting off with them, because they do have the number one receiver still at this point, although there could be a change in the guard. We'll get into that a little bit later. But right now, Stephon Diggs is still the man in the division. And, of course, we'll just lump this in with Gabe Davis, too. But sticking with Diggs, is there really any reason to think he won't continue to be a top five or in that range fantasy wide receiver? Three years with the Bills, he finished as two, he finished as three, he's finished as seven. I feel like there's been some naysayers trying to point out, oh, Stephon Diggs is going full diva, he might implode. I don't, I don't, I really don't see that happening. I think it's just Diggs being Diggs, and that's sometimes he just that's just what he has to do to keep his edge. What do you think, Drew? Well, I mean, that's the only. I think he's as much of a lock as you could get. Is for from a physical, uh, all you know, in a vacuum, all things equal, is he a top five receiver? The answer, immediate answer is yes. That's the only concern I have, and it's a minor one. Is that the holdout being absent from OTAs? I mean, a lot of guys are out from OTAs, especially veterans. But the devious behavior, the devious behavior he exhibited uh, when the when the bills were bounced. Uh, he's, he was all in his feelings. It seems like he's still that way, and it's been a while now since the season ended. Um, so emotions can lead us to some irrational choices. So I do have, I do can't, I can't completely discount that, you know, a little bit. So if I'm looking at, you know, him, I'm, I'm still drafting him in the back end of the first and, and redraft for sure. Uh, but it does give me a little bit of pause uh, before I click draft anyway. <laughs> but uh, so I, I, I definitely can see that. But it's something to monitor. It's something to watch. It's nothing to freak out. I think over right now. But if it continues. Uh, and it continues to fester, and and there's no resolution or nothing that comes out of it, uh, you know, in a positive way. Then I think that's definitely going to be a reason to concern and panic. Oh no, Chris, is he going full Antonio Brown? <laughs> well, I mean, that was my confirm coming out of college. I thought he was they had a lot of Antonio Brown like skills. The difference I will say for Stefan Diggs, well, I definitely think he's a diva, and I definitely think he's will he's willing to kind of hold his breath to get what he wants. He's also a guy who hasn't had the kind of off-the-field drama that Antonio Brown kind of followed him. We've yeah, never heard of those things, having those kinds of things mm-hmm. following me, not you know, yelling at people, getting in fights, and, and, and being basically a knucklehead off the field. So I think that's one of the things where Stefan Diggs, he's extremely competitive. He wants the ball. It reminds me kind of like a Chad Johnson more of that guy who just, I want to be the guy, and I'm, I'm, I am that diva in a sense. But I think Stefan Diggs is still good enough that even if he, he hold up Buffalo, he goes somewhere else. You saw what he did in Minnesota. He kind of held his breath there, got to Buffalo, and, and was a star. I think he's definitely going to be a still a star. So that's the difference between him and, him and Antonio Brown, where maybe I'm not as ner- nervous. I have some caution. I, you know, Of course, I hate when guys miss some of the OTAs, especially the older guys, because almost nine out of ten times, it becomes a lower body, 
I have a hamstring or I have a tight groin or I have whatever it is, and that seems to like nag them for you know the beginning of the season. So that's my one concern, the holdout. So when these guys don't necessarily get out there running around playing, it's they they tend to always kind of have some kind of early season issue, especially when they get a little older. Hey, we got a question coming in from uh, Jake from Steve. You guys know Jake from Steve was a fan of the show. Apparently, he is. Uh, what do you guys think about Austin Eckler in Dynasty? He's available in the third round of a startup draft. Tons of running backs are on the board, but the value seems insane. I would pivot to JSN or London if I didn't take him. Uh, this, I mean, for me, it's instant reaction is, are you building for the future? Is that your goal? Or are you trying to win now? If you're winning now, you're definitely taking Austin Eckler here in the third round without a question. But if you are just playing this as if you want to try to go full young and and, and go for a longer term viewpoint, then, then maybe not. That would, that would be my take. I don't know where you're at in your draft right now, Jake, or what your first two rounds looked like. What do you think, Drew? Yeah, I, I think you nailed it right there. If I'm if I'm in, if I'm competing, I want Eckler for sure. Um, and the the issue with JSN in London is that um, while they're definitely significant assets in Dynasty, yeah, I think it's going to be a year for JSN to really blow up into what we want him to be uh, with Metcalf and and Lockett still in his prime, I think. Um, so uh, you know, and then uh, with with London, that's that's a low volume low volume pass offense. I mean, so I mean, yes, he is you know getting alpha like uh, you know breakdown of a uh, percentage of uh, targets uh, you know Pitts is still there uh, but then you got Ritter also who's going to be running to r- probably running a little bit more uh, so I don't know that that's going to translate into more our targets opportunities so uh, it might have to be patient and play the long game with both of those guys so uh, I think you're you're really going to be either the, you're the plan to win or you're playing to win or you're going to be sitting back and waiting for a while and it's just a matter of what you want to do so uh, I'm, I'm always the guy that likes to try to win and then kind of figure it out and then make moves as we go and then just kind of trust in my abilities to, uh, you know, play the waiver wire, make trades, do what you need to do. Um, but so I'm, I'm my ten, my, uh, in a bubble, my, my tendency there is to lean to Eckler. Uh, that's just, but that's more of a tendency of my, my, uh, uh, my desire as a player to win and, and to do whatever I need to do to make that happen. So. Remember, Dynasty Leagues have a tendency to wrap up after two or three years, so I never really had a too <laughs> long-term game. Uh, to keep get the show going, keep your comments coming in. Your questions, we'll get to them as we can, but we do got to get the show rolling here. And I, I got to talk about Gabe Davis. This, this is one of the few guys that I kind of want to have a little bit of a rant on because it, he hurt me, along with a lot of other people last year. It really, really hurt me. But everyone now seems to be on the mindset, and I'm Partially, I'm, I'm, I'm appreciative of it because he's driving down his, his price tag. Everyone seems to be on the mindset he's just done. He's a bust. He didn't do it last year. He's never going to do it. And I disagree with that line of thought. The guy played through a high ankle sprain that he got in like week two. And instead of taking the prerequisite four to six weeks off like you're supposed to do, he just tried to play through. And as a result, never really got healthy and didn't look like his explosive self. I know that Gabe Davis is more explosive than what we saw in the field last year. So that's what I go back to as far as I feel pretty confident that the injury played a big role. Here's another thing. The guy's only 24 years old. Are you telling me he really can't get better at 24 years old? He's still in the prime, not even at the prime age apex for a wide receiver just yet. So that's another reason why I think he should be good to go. He still is the wide receiver, too, as it is set up today. And we'll talk about the tight ends and Don Dal- Kincaid in a little bit in the show a little bit longer. But with Gate, they didn't address the wide receiver position. 
It's Khalil Shakir in the slot. You have Stephon Diggs. It's still Gabe Davis is still the man as the X receiver on the outside, deep field threat on a high volume passing attack offense. He had a low, way below average rate when it comes to catch rate last year. And he had 93 targets, only 48 receptions, but still managed to get seven touchdowns. And he was never really quite healthy. When I look at Gabe Davis, I think maybe we were just a year early on the guy. I'm not ready to sell him off just yet. Now, in FFPC, his ADP was a little bit higher than I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be more like ninth, 10th round. It's actually more in the eighth round. But I am willing to bet a large sum of money. Now, when you get into your home leagues, because those people are so recency biased, that Gabe Davis is going to fall probably to those double-digit rounds. And to me, at that point, absolute 1,000% steal in my mind. Chris, what do you think? Danny, you know that I'm all about physical talent and all about physical skill set. And if you're exposed to a player, especially to receiver position, I'm gonna it's gonna buy some time and some interest in me. You hit nail on the head. Gabe Davis was hurt last year. An offense was trying to transition itself. Stefan Diggs became the alpha back, like he hadn't been like the you know, the same way for a couple of seasons. And I think that all those things kind of pot up on Gabe Davis. But to your point, this offseason, they you know, the, the Bills added some different weapons, they added some guys through the draft. But most of them guys are mostly slot receivers. There's nobody really a threat to Gabe Davis. And one caveat to add, he's 24 years old, also in a contract here. So he's got a reason to be out there, go out, shout there, and get paid because that's going to be a big opportunity for him to do so. So I look at Gabe Davis, the guy, you know, Josh Allen, I talked about earlier in the show, wasn't quite as efficient as he typically is down the field. Gabe Davis kind of gets a couple of those big throws down the field, and they figure out how to manufacture him some more touches. I'm a little frustrated with Ken Dorsey. Overall, Ken Dorsey, I'm a, I'm a U fan, so show my bias in sense, some sense with that. But I, I, you know, I had a, I had a lot of faith that what he could kind of do with this offense. But Gabe Davis became a one-trick pony. He was asked to just go deep basically all the time and clear out things. And I think that's where they got to kind of adjust their offense. And with some of their moves, I know people are all excited about the tight ends. I actually think that helps Gabe Davis where he can run more more a four, four, um, fuller route tree, I should say, uh, because he's going to have the opportunity to do so. So I like Gabe Davis. And to your point, absolute steal and a guy I think that could be a game changer on your roster. All right. So, Chris, we see it the same way. Drew, how do you see this situation? Uh, you sold me. Uh, I I I, I kind of look at him as a ball, as a boom buff guy, and uh, I mean that's I know that's recency bias, but I I really like him in best ball a lot. And I've got a couple of um, uh, stacks where I've got Allen and Diggs because they're easy to pair up together. And then late later, uh, I've got uh, some Gabe Davis in there as well, kind of like a double stack kind of situation. And then I got one or two where I've got James Cook instead or whatever. Um, but I I don't have a lot of Kincaid. Um, I probably should could or should. Um, but I just have a thing about rookie tight ends. But the, here's the problem, though, with that analysis and with that take, though, is that Kincaid is is going to be in the slot. He's going to play a lot more. He's not going to play in line. He's going to be a slot guy. He, I, and that's the thing. I think I think you're exactly right. I think Gabe Davis is going to be on the field as an X um, pretty much all the time, and uh, he's going to be on the field pretty much every snap. Um, and you got that. There's value in that, and uh, he's going to be up there in routes run. Uh, I do worry about targets per route run if they're going to bring in Kincaid and make him a major part of the offense, which what first round draft capital kinds of kind of signals. Um, but I do think, um, you, like like you said, Chris, uh, I'm in, I'm interested in athletic profile. I'm interested in uh, you know players that can play. People have produced massive numbers. You like people say, oh well, you if he had just take you take out the one game where he had you know eight eight touchdowns and two hundred yards, then, then then he really wasn't anything special. But the problem is, is he did have that game. You know you can't take that away from him. So that shows you what his ceiling is. Uh, if he does hit, if he does develop as a player, and you pointed it out at age twenty four, he's not done developing. So if he does in a round out that route tree, then he's going to be something, especially in that offense. 
All right. I love that we all see that the same way. But keep it to yourselves because I want to get him at a, a nice cheap price tag. Uh, let's talk about the Dolphins. What a great receiving duo to talk about here with Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. So Tyreek Hill, in true Tyreek Hill fashion, actually, I think it was either today or yesterday, he wants to be the first. He wants to be the first receiver who breaks 2,000 yards. He also said that he only has three more years left to play. So Maybe it puts a little extra giddy up in his step when his motivation here. I, I don't know. And then you look at Jalen Waddle, who he's looking prime for a third year leap in his own right. Now the, the problem here with, with Waddle, right? He'll prove that he was he was too approved. They were gonna get him the ball, whether Tua was a quarterback or not. With Waddle, when Tua wasn't on the field, he kind of disappeared from a fantasy standpoint. So I do get a little bit nervous because I do subscribe to the idea that I can't trust Tua to actually play an entire season. But at the same time, I think Waddle does take a third-year leap. Right now, I have him ranked exactly the ADP, actually, which is wide receiver 11 on FFPC, and probably going to look... Can't really move him up too much more because I have kind of St. Brown in front of him and a couple other guys. We'll talk about another guy I have in front of him uh, in a little bit, but I, I really do like Waddle as that top-notch... Uh, you know, low-end wide receiver one, top-end wide receiver two. He's in that T. Higgins range. Let's have that conversation. Waddle... Or T. Higgins, Drew. Well, I, I'm I should I'm I'm kind of contractually obligated to say Higgins because <laughs> as a Clemson guy, uh, I, I really like him a lot. I was I was higher on him than most when he came out because not just because of the Clemson bias, because a big fan of his all-around game, his ability to to hide. He's got great feet. And he's just he high he high points the ball so well. He's such a strong receiver. He uses his, he's very physical and use knows how to use it and control his body uh, as as good as anyone in the league really. But Waddle is just a special talent too, and uh, I think you nailed it with with when 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 he and Tua are are, are in the lineup together. It, I, I'm as long as Tua is playing, I want Waddle in that situation over Higgins, and and that says a lot because I'm high on Higgins. Uh, so I just just respect I have for Waddle. So I do think it's a fair fair point though. If you don't believe in Tua, then you then you need to temper your expectations for Waddle. I think that's a very fair point. Chris, to you, Tyreek Hill had his most targets. He's ever had with the Dolphins last year. Can he maintain that? Because he's going to need to if he actually thinks he has a shot at breaking 2,000 yards. I think that he definitely can. And just to kind of mention what your point was, Danny, you talk about the receivers getting fed when Tua went down. I think the big difference is when Teddy Bridgewater you know, was healthy for half a second last last year, both those guys were productive, and then he immediately got hurt. It's hard for a rookie quick. Skylar Thompson to kind of go out there and get these guys the ball and feature them, but you saw at least one of them was going to be fed regardless. And that goes credit to Mike McDaniels. He seems to be able to get the ball to his playmakers. He does a fantastic job of that. Everybody knew who they're going to go to week in, week out, and Tyreek Hill was still open. Jalen Waddle was still open. The difference is, you know, I'm not the guy who loved Mike White last year. Everybody else seemed to, you know, get caught up in the hype, the Mike White hype. But Mike White can make two reads, and I'll give him very much credit that he can make two reads. And I don't <laughs> to Waddle and he can make that second throw and, and I think that's going to be a huge part for Waddle. I think Jalen Waddle does have that floor I love T. Higgins' ability I, I agree with Drew 100% I think you know Dan you were huge on Higgins coming out um, the guy's really good he's not just a big tall guy, he's a guy who can do a little bit of everything fantastic player, just difference for me is Jalen Waddle has that game breaking speed just got to get the ball in his hands one time and he can make you miss and they give him the volume so both those things make me feel really confident about both Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle and Tyree Kill look Whatever he said the last couple seasons, he's backed. He, nobody can take that away from him. He's not a guy who's going out there and talked it and not walked it. So if he says he can go out and get 2,000 yards, people thought, you know, he was done in Kansas City. Him. All that. 
year. And then what happened? He went out there and dominated. So I think Tyreek Hill is definitely a guy that can just go out there and, and do what he wants. No, that, that's fair. And just to wrap up the Waddle T Higgins conversation, the reason I have him one spot ahead of T Higgins is kind of what Chris just said there. I think he has the ability to win you weeks. T Higgins, I think, is a very good, consistent, productive player. I don't know if he has the ability to just win you a week by himself. Waddle does possess possess that with the deep ball capability that he has. But let's get this moving to what I expect to be my number one rant of the show. And Chris, I kind of gave him a little taste of this last week, so I'm excited to see Drew's reaction on this one. And it is one Garrett freaking Wilson. I'm not. I'm not gonna give away where I have him ranked first. First, first, I'm gonna. I'm gonna build. I'm gonna build this gentleman up. The guy had 147 targets with the river parade of poo poo that was Zach Wilson and Joe Flacco and one we just mentioned, Mr. Mike White. 147 targets with that crappy, crappy quarterback group. As a result, his efficiency numbers in some areas weren't as good as you would hope they would be. Mainly catching rate. I think he only had a 56, yep, 56.5% catch rate and only a 2.7% touchdown rate for a guy like Garrett Wilson because of what he had to put up with at the quarterback position. Now, if you guys follow me along on my Instagram, you should, by the way, if you don't, MD's Fantasy Football Show, but I put out a graphic when they first signed or finally traded for Aaron Rodgers and put his worst statistical year, which was last year, and compared it to all the Jets quarterbacks combined. And not only was he better in his worst year ever, it wasn't even close. As far as the efficiency, touchdown marks, completion percentage across the board. The only thing they were close on was, was yards. That was it. That was the only thing they were even close on. Everything else, way to sledge for Aaron Rodgers. So if he's even somewhere in between his worst year and his MVP year, what do you think that's going to do for a guy like a Garrett Wilson, who had 23% of the team targets last year? Oh, and for those of you people out there who think Rodgers spreads the ball around, eh, Devontae Adams had 30% team targets per game when Rodgers was there. If you're good, you get the ball. That's how this works. So all this is to say, Drew, I have Garrett Wilson ranked at wide receiver seven, and that's only because I don't have the cojones to put him inside the top big six that there are at the wide receiver position. I wish I did. I wish I wasn't a coward because I would do it, <laughs> but I have him at wide receiver seven ahead of CeeDee Lamb and ahead of A.J. Brown instead. I, I mean, I think it's a very fair ranking. I've got him in my top 15 or 20 players overall. Um, and I have not hesitated to take him at the top of the second. Um, it's, that, that answers your question about where how high I am on him. Um, I don't appreciate the Joe Flacco slander, though. This is a Delaware Blue Hands household, so we don't <laughs> like that kind of stuff here. But, uh, but I mean, it, it, your points are well taken that he's seen. It. He, but Joe Flacco was a fossil at this point. And, uh, and anything Aaron Rodgers, I think, I think gives us, even 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 if it's a, a, a worst-case scenario, it can't get any worse, I don't think, than last year. And if he's productive in that situation, you're talking about that he just shows you right there, I'm an elite player. So talk about DeAndre Hopkins. DeAndre Hopkins made the Pro Bowl uh, with, who was it, Ryan Mallett? Uh, and the likes of that, those kinds of quarterbacks, yeah. uh, TJ Yates, I think was starting to some games from, and he was a pro bowl receiver that year and, and one of the best receivers in the game. So I mean, elite talent produces an elite level, no matter who the quarterback is. And you bring in Aaron Rodgers in the situation. I'm very, very high on Garrett Wilson. So, um, I just, I, I think, uh, I think it's realistic that he sees potentially more targets. So we saw what Aaron Rodgers did, how he locked in on Devonte Adams. In Green Bay, I get the sense that there's, that's going to happen here uh, in New York as well. Uh, so I, I don't think wide receiver one 
is out of the range of possibilities for Garrett Wilson. Love it. All right, Chris, you could, you, you were speechless last week. Do you have any speech this week? I mean, look, I'll, I'll add one more feather to your cap of things that are better for the Jets this offseason other than Rodgers. Matt LaFleur is not their offensive coordinator anymore because other than New England people to buckle on me. Yeah. Um, Michael LaFleur, I'm sorry. They all stink. But Michael LaFleur is the offensive coordinator there, which was part of that horrendous you know, show that you saw and the ability to make them such an inefficient offense despite having the talent they had on this team. Having said that, I just can't drink the Kool-Aid that much. Look, I hear you guys on the, on the Devontae Adams things, and I think it's everybody's recency bias. Go back when Aaron Rodgers actually had multiple weapons, though, when he had a Jordy Nelson and a, Reg- a Randall Cobb when he was 95 years old. I'm not saying that Mikel Hardman or Corey Davis or Al Lazard are the same kind of players. But what I am going to say is that they got paid a lot of money not to just be guys just sitting on the bench. They're going to see some targets. I can't imagine you're paying guys double-digit money and double-digit millions of dollars, and they're all just going to sit there with happy with one target a game. I think there's Aaron Rodgers does spread the ball. He can. He's a veteran quarterback. He's going to go with one-on-one coverage. Now Wilson is the best of the receivers, no doubt, and his guy have a huge shot. And my, my, my OBJ is my comp for him. I just don't think he's quite there yet. I think the, you talked about the catch percentage, Dan. I think there still needs to be some growth in some of his game. And I do think part of that is why Aaron Rodgers locks on players is because he had nothing else a lot of times. Even Green Bay, when Watson had his stretch, it was because Dobbs was banged up. It was usually like he had nothing on one guy. So that's what I'm looking for. Fonda Adams is a special player, no doubt. Wilson's a special player, no doubt. I just can't go top seven yet. I'm more with comfortable with Drew. was talking about top 16, top 18. I, I feel more comfortable with that. But the top six, I love Wilson. Just I don't see the touchdown potential necessarily there for me to reach that high for him. I don't care how much they pay the other scrubby, scrubby dub dub wide receivers, and they'll be on the field. Sure, they're gonna be sitting there just taking notes, taking pictures. Lazard, that's all he did with Devontae Adams. It's no different here. Uh, Corey Davis, he only averages a thirteen percent team target share. No matter who, what team he's on, no matter what quarterback he has, I don't buy. I don't care how much they paid these guys. It's it's worthless money. Good job, Joe Douglas. You overpaid all of them. Good job, receiver agents. You guys got paid. You're going to sit there. You're going to watch Aaron Rodgers and Garrett Wilson just go bananas all 2023. That's just my take. We'll see exactly what happens. Chris, we'll stick with you real quick because we want to get the receivers wrapped up so we can get to the tight ends, get the show wrapped up. But Juju Smith-Schuster takes, a, I think, it's a half a million dollars more than what Jacoby Myers got with the Raiders, I believe, and the signing bonus to be that receiver. For the Patriots, I guess you can make the argument that he will get the 21.6% team target share that uh, Jacoby Myers had. So I guess the question is this. Does he have any chance to be a top 24 receiver? Because he's the only one I think that has a shot in New England who could. No. I mean, it's just just a guy, in my opinion. I don't think he's anything special anymore. He had a decent year last year. They can move him around different formation. They have a lot of repetitive players on this Patriot team. And overall, I think that they did do a little bit of improvement offensively. They got a little bit more playmakers in the receiver core. I just think overall, I don't see the, the ability for him to kind of shine in this role. I think his team's going to spread the ball around a lot. They're going to be, you know, revolved around Ramondre Stevenson a lot. And I just don't really see the opportunity for him to kind of be that, that guy. Myers was a guy that was kind of a security blanket, but he also benefited a lot of times where they absolutely had nobody else or just, you know, they're throwing all kinds of walk-ons basically at the other receiver position. So I think when you look at what he can do, this Patriot team has a little more depth than they've had in the past. They have some decent amount of talent receiver core. And I think there's a lot of different guys who can get the ball. 
And you know, I just want to point out real quick, and I know he's not going to be somebody that you know, people are necessarily going to talk about, but Devontae Parker and Matt Jones do have a little bit of a connection, and they, when they were healthy together, they did look for each other. That's why I don't think Juju Smith-Schuster is going to suddenly just burst into the scene and be the Patriot guy. Yeah, I was going to say the, the starting receiving corp right now is uh, Devontae Parker, Juju Smith-Schuster, and Tyquan Thornton. We'll talk about the tight ends in just a second. Drew, Drew what, what do you make of Juju? Is he is he's one of those guys that you'll take as like a wide receiver 34 that you can kind of just plug and play at a certain week? Or you just, look, I'd rather take the upside at that point. Um, I could, I've been taking him as a wide receiver four, maybe. Um, but I just, again, you're, you're looking at that point. If I'm doing that, then I've got, then I got to love my first, my top three receivers to do that. And I think he's a high floor player. I, I don't think he's a high ceiling player in that offense. So uh, I think top 36 is a reasonable expectation, but I don't see top 24. So my, my, my notes were the same as yours, Chris. It was a no, <laughs> that's kind of what I had. So, uh, but I, I think it's a very fair analysis. So I don't think he's he can he can get you some production, but he's not going to be a league winner, kind of like what Jacoby Myers was. But I, I don't know that he's going to be able to have the same level, same target share. Uh, you know, and if, even if he does, I don't know that the volume is going to be there. Depending out of that offense, uh, as far as from a play perspective and how plays run perspective. So uh, I, I Parker, I I, do, I agree there was a connection there, but he is kind of getting old. I don't know that he's going to last the full season. Uh, you know, or, uh, you know, play a full season. And in those situations, I can see Juju probably taking a bigger share and potentially might have a few weeks where he does finish in the top 24. But on the whole, I'm not seeing it. Yeah. Look, there's nothing special about him. He's going into territory where I'd rather take the guys who have upside who might be able to hit unless I'm really just dying for depth. Uh, my receiver position at that point, which I don't anticipate doing because receiving going early is going to have to be a key, I think, in drafts this year. We do have four teams in the AFC East, but there's only two teams we're talking about when it comes to the tight end position because the Dolphins don't use theirs. It's just there to block. And uh, same can be said with the Jets. I really don't care about Tyler Conklin, so he's not my show, my, my, my show sheet. Uh, but I do have... The two platoon tight end situations, as if tight end wasn't already a headache as it is enough, we have two teams that have two tight ends that are valid, right? So we will start the Bills. We have Dalton Kincaid. We have Dawson Knox. Now, when Dalton Kincaid was first drafted by the Bills, I was getting ready to just arm myself with why you should not be taking Dalton Kincaid with where he's going. But it has kind of calmed down to the point because at that point he was his ADP. I think was at like tight end eight. And we're talking about best ball and, and redraft leagues. And I'm like, that's stupid. But now it's come down to the 11, 12 area. And when I look at him in the 11, 12 area, personally, you're looking at him in a range of guys. Like I just had the list in front of me here. Uh, one, one second, bear with me. I, I had this list and I, I was okay with it. Cause all right. So you had, don't Kincaid, and you have guys like Cole Komet, Tyler Higby, Greg Dolchich after that. Chig is right there. Schultz is in the area. I'd rather have Schultz personally, but when you look at Dolchich and Komet and Higby and Chig, I, I look at and Laporta is the other one. I'm like, all right. I do agree that that's the territory that, you know, low end tight end one, take a shot high and tight end two. I do agree with that tier being there. So now I'm kind of okay with where he's going. So I'm not advocating against it necessarily, but you're only doing it if you're deciding you're punting at the tight end position and you're going to stream until you hit on somebody. At least in my opinion, that's all you're going to do. Dawson Knox is still 
a good tight end, especially in the red zone. Last year, I think there was other reasons besides football that he wasn't that great. He's not going anywhere because of his contract. And I don't like tight ends as it is. I especially don't like tight ends in platoon situations. So I don't, Drew, maybe you have a better outlook on this than I do. Well, I mean, for, for Dalton Kincaid, I, I kind of was in the same boat. I, I mean, I, I'm kind of out on, on Dawson Knox, uh, but Kincaid, I mean, he's going to see some utility in the slot, but I don't know that he's going to outperform. You, t- you said you don't want to hear talk about Tyler Conklin, but he had 58 catches for 552 yards last year. I don't know that Dalton Kincaid's going to hit that. And the, and we're talking about, is he going to outperform a guy that we don't even want to talk about? So I, I just think he's being taken way, way too high. Um, I, I don't doubt his talent. Uh, I don't know that it happens this year. Um, and, you know, I, I, I guess in that range, you're looking at t- taking a shot on upside, a swing on it. I respect it. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna poo-poo anybody that that's, that says okay well here we are in this frame of the draft I might as well just take a shot on Colton Dalton Kincaid and then see who's left later on if I have the, the room on my bench to take a second tight end uh, you know and see who's there so uh, but it's just I don't think it's I, I think there's a lot of rookie optimism especially at this point in the season we're so fresh out of the draft we're in dynasty perspective everyone's uh, in in rookie has rookie fever right now. But I definitely, I'm definitely fading Kincaid uh, a little bit more than consensus uh, in in redraft, especially. Ah, a sane person. I like conversations with sane people. <laughs> Chris, you're nodding your head in agreement. I'm 100. Look, I, I do have some doubts about the whole Kincaid. I'm not as big on him coming out of the draft as a lot of people have been. But I'm absolutely not as high as people are on fantasy value wise. This is a team that likes to run a lot of three receiver sets. So, number one, you're going to see a team that's going to convert to be able to use that second tight end because Dallas Knox is a way better blocker than Dalton Kincaid ever will be. And so then when you look at the situation you talked about, Dan, I think what you're looking at a Buffalo team, while I love Josh Allen with the weapons he has because what I think Buffalo's going with, we're going to be bigger, stronger, faster than everybody else is, and we're going to do a lot of physical formations, and that could be a benefit for them. Dalton Kincaid's got a guy that reminds me a lot of what Isaiah likely brought to you know the Ravens where Mark Andrews is that guy, I likely to have some decent games here or there because he's a good guy, he catch the ball. But how consistent were you going to have him on your roster? Was he going to be a guy you're going to play in week in, week, in, week out, or even take the chance to? Todd Higby is a guy that basically could be the second receiver on that Rams team. And Dalton Schultz could be the second receiver or the top receiver on that you know the Houston team we talked about. So I am not a big on Dalton Kincaid's everybody else's. I understand that the idea of him playing with, you know, Josh Allen and anything that touches Josh Allen could be gold, but we talked about Gabe Davis's value and how low it is. How are you going to have Dalton Kincaid this high when the guy like, you know, Gabe Davis is being picked basically way in double digit rounds and you're going to take Dalton Kincaid in the same kind of round? I can't do it. So I'm not as high as anybody is. It just feels so much like coach speak. These coaches come out all the time and get these these playmakers, these weapons. Oh, we're going to use them this way, this really cool, fun way. And it never winds up being as significant or as much as they try to make it out to be during the offseason. It just part of me just it doesn't buy it doesn't buy that Kincaid is going to be out there playing the slot as much as the Bills try to make it out to be. By the way, Khalil Shakir, he's not shop liver. So I'd be kind of curious to see how that kind of goes as well. Uh, well, let's move into the Patriots situation. We have yet another duo to get rid of Janu Smith just to add Mike Isecki to make my life hell when trying to project tight ends. I think they did that personally to me. Um, all right. So I think it's a contractual obligation for every fantasy analyst when they talk about the Patriot tight end situation and Bill O'Brien being the offense coordinator to bring up 2011 when yes Aaron, when Rob Gronkowski and Aaron Hernandez combined for over 2200 yards and yes they combined for 24 touchdowns I go back to my rule of thumb 
I don't like tight ends to begin with. I especially don't like them when they're in platoon situations. And I really don't like them when they pro typical, when they profile to me as being the same guy. I mean, look, Mike Gesicki's a little more athletic, but Hunter Henry's pretty damn good at catching the ball, especially in the red zone. Oh, he's a better blocker, so he's going to be on the field more. Right now, Gesicki's going ahead of Hunter Henry. Not that the, either one of them are being drafted particularly high, both mid-level tight end twos. I have Henry ahead of Mike Gesicki. I don't see why this would be uh, Gesicki more valuable than Henry. What, what do you make of this situation, Drew? Well, I, I initially was very excited for Gasicki to go to uh, the Patriots. So I I, um, I know Henry had a pretty good year last year. I looked at Gis- in a bubble, uh, just looking at the two players stacked up next to each other. I think Gasicki, from a physical standpoint, um, is just a, free, a phys- has that ability to kind of you know to, to really kind of be a better player. But Henry had success last year in that offense, and I think I think uh, Gasicki's going to have to work his way in, learn the offense, and. And, and figure out, you know, what his, his role is going to be. So we talk about 2011. I don't see a comp there. I, I mean, we're talking about Rob Gronkowski, one of the best tight ends in the history of the game. Um, and as much as and you can say nice things about Gasicki and Hunter Henry, but no, neither one of them comes close to what Rob Gronkowski was or Aaron, Aaron Hernandez for that matter. So I, I don't think, I don't think, that, I don't think it's a fair comp. Um, the only thing that kind of works in their favor is just the, the lack of receiver talent around them. You know, there's just really nobody there to get you excited. So I could see them funneling a lot more to the tight end than they have in recent years. That tight end position, which would by default, uh, you know, pump up their value from a volume perspective. Um, but I just, I don't know. I think they limit each other's ceilings. Uh, honestly, I more than more than help each other out in this. This is, I'm not, I'm not buying it. I'm not, I'm not interested uh, in really either of these guys. Uh, I, I know you don't like tight ends. I don't like tight ends. So I have to like say, well, maybe if this goes right and that goes right, then they might have. Exactly. I'm, I'm out. I'm out. You know, no yeah. thanks. I'll let somebody else play that game. So. 100%. You said it perfectly right there. But I have to sit there and say, if this or if that, and, and uh, yeah, you can go through a multiple. I, I just, I can't, I can't do it. Chris, are any one of these guys on your sleeper radar? I have Kasaki on my sleeper radar because, you know, while I definitely agree with you guys, and just want to point out a number of like people with these two tight end sets, you know, there's only one team that ran over 40% of their plays out of the two tight end sets last year. So it's not something that, ever, as Dan talked about the coach speaker, everybody talks about doing this. And then when it comes, push comes to shove. What do you really do when it comes to the plays you're calling? Now, the difference for myself where I have a little bit more bullish is that there's been nothing but talk that Gusecki's going to play the slot receiver. This is why I'm not high on Juju Smith-Schuster, for example. If Gusecki's going to be – there's very few teams that committed the idea that they have this idea of this flex, you know, tight end. But if you're just going to make that his position and that's what you're going to kind of build your offense around, similar in some ways – now, I'm not saying the same skill set, but similar to what they did with Aaron Hernandez where it was – very obvious you're a pass catcher. Your job is not to block. Your job is not to necessarily be pretend to block. You line up there and you line up the slot receiver and you're able to kind of be a big slot receiver. Kaseki does have that skill set to be a big slot. And you do see the big slot be a mismatch in today's NFL, especially with all these 5'9 guys. So I do think there's an opportunity for him to be a guy that can be utilized. I think Matt Jones is a great accurate thrower. If you give him guys, he can go up and get the ball. He showed you Alabama. He can make playmakers. He can feed the playmakers. So I do like Kaseki as a sleeper. Hunter Henry's one of those guys that's tough for me. I know he always has some decent production to end the season. It just doesn't seem to be week to week that you you get what you want from him. So he's a guy I'm probably more shying away from just because I feel like the upside just hasn't really ever been there. And you, it's a guy that you know statistically over the season looks like he has good numbers. From week to week, he really doesn't help you that much in your tight end position. Well, yeah, because he's a tight end. That's, that's, that's what they do. <laughs> All right, last segment before we wrap this off, and let's cap it off by trying to win some money. Lock them in. It's a lock. Here we go. 
So lock them in. We got the over-unders for all four of these teams we've been trying to figure out. We'll start with the Buffalo Bills. We'll go Drew and then Chris. The Buffalo Bills line is 10.5 over-under their win total for the year. The over-odds are minus 145, as you would expect, and the under-odds are plus 120. What do you think about Buffalo over-under 10.5 wins this year? Oh, I think they're over. Um, I, I got them at 12 um, is, is what I would put them at, so I think it's pretty comfortably over for me. Yeah, I agree with that. Chris? Yeah, I'm 100% agreeing with that. You know, I talked about Buffalo trying to you know, be more a physical offensive line, offensive team in general. I think it's really going to play well for them and their defense. I love Buffalo this year. Unfortunately, I'm not going to be good. <laughs> You're like, at the end of the day, while the Dolphins are getting better, the Jets are getting better, I think the Buffalo roster just as a whole is at another tier than those teams are. So, yeah, I'm with you guys. 12 wins sounds about right to me. Uh, let's go to the Dolphins themselves, though. The, that line, I think, is right on the money. It's nine and a half. The over on that one is even money. The under is actually minus 120. So Vegas is telling you that they're favoring the under on the Dolphins at nine and a half. I tend to agree because I have them as a nine-win team myself. If, I will put this as a caveat, if you told me to attack Lavoe is going to play 15 games, not even a full 17, you play only 15 games, I would take the over in this. I just, I can't bet on that, so I'm taking the under. Drew, what about you? Uh, I agree with you. I think the, the line is nine and a half is quite fair. I don't, I don't want to touch this really at all. Um, if I had to, I would go under just because, you know, this assumes – uh, that everyone stays healthy. So I think there's a, high, a decent prob- possibility that Tua does miss some time, um, in which case then, uh, you know, you're looking at, it, I think, just a, just a nine and a nine and eight season and, and you're, you're, you're under. So I think, I think it's definitely fair, especially given how bullish we all are in the Bills, um, I think. And uh, the fact that it's a pretty tight, pretty stacked division, there's a lot of talent in this division. I think, I think if I had to go one way or the other, I think, I think going under would be the way to go. But I, I don't really, I'd rather not touch it, period. Yeah, I agree. This is not a line I'm really hammering hard. Chris, what about you? I'm actually going to go the opposite of you guys. I'm going to go the over. Look, was the one team that gave Buffalo the, all they wanted last year, and that was Miami Dolphins. So maybe the Dolphins aren't you know, just a tier below the Buffalo Bills. I like the Dolphins done this offseason. Alan Dalvin hooked to that backfield. Suddenly, what are we talking about offensively? If they're healthy offensive line, which yeah. is you know, yeah. the key to that. But I love what they did with the coaches. Yeah, Mike McDaniels, I think, is an absolute stud as a coach. And then adding – Defensive coordinator that actually can bring some of these pieces together, adding a Jalen Rams this offseason. This defense could be really good as well. So I look at the Dolphins as a team that people are trying to sleep in on because of what happened with Tua and they want to find reasons to be, you know, polar with Tua. He's good for sucks. Dolphins are kind of in the middle. I think people are kind of overlooking them. I think they I'm gonna go the over. All right. Fair points all the way around. Very yeah. interesting. Uh, I think it's gonna be it's gonna be right there. Do they get to that 10 wins? Do they get to the nine wins? And that's why I think the line is, is kind of tough right there. Uh, here's one that I'm definitely going under, although the value is a little bit more on the overside, but definitely going under anyway. That's the Patriots. Seven and a half wins over under, plus 105 for over, minus 125 for under. I'm sorry, the Patriots will be better on the field, but this is still not a very good team overall. What do you think, Drew? Yeah, uh, I, I lean under on this one too. I had them at seven wins, so um, I don't really love this line like I did the Bills line. Um, but if if I'm going anywhere, it's here. It's going to be under. Chris, you. This is one kind of like Drew talked about the last one. You didn't want to touch. This is one I really don't want to touch. Look, I don't think the Patriots are super talented, but I do think the Patriots have a very Patriot-like team this year. And as a result, they usually win eight, nine games with that kind of team. They went, you know, despite all the debacle last year, they were still smelling the playoffs. You know, as the season progressed, 
you see a lot of teams getting eight, nine wins and, you know, in today's parody in NFL Patriots are a team that has enough talent to kind of hang around that line. So I don't want to touch it, but I was, I was going to be foolish. Okay. And last but not least, the Jets. Chris, I think I view the Jets the way you view the Dolphins because their line's also nine and a half. And this is one of the reasons why I'm under on the Dolphins as well because I am over on the Jets on this line. Now, the over is minus 130. The under is plus 110. I have the Jets going 10 and 7. While I like what the Dolphins did with Vic Vangio hiring and getting Jalen Ramsey, the Jets have arguably a top six or seven defense. And with Rodgers getting back to form or at least partially back to form to what we've seen two years ago, which is what I'm anticipating, is what I'm projecting. I think it's a very good, well-balanced team. It's just a tick below the Buffalo Bills. So I do have them at 10. I got them going over the nine and a half line. What about you, Drew? I actually have my under. Uh, I think there's a little bit of an Aaron Rodgers tax here, I think, uh, and onto this line. There's a lot of hype with the Jets this year. Um, I think every year there's a team that's super hyped up, and it could be the Lions this year. It could be the Jets. Um, and I think even if nine and eight finish again here, which I think is very reasonable uh, expectation for the Jets in this division, uh, and you're under, uh, and uh, you're talking about a division with Buffalo and Miami, uh, who we didn't want to touch a nine and a half line because it's very reasonable that they can be a ten win team. Um, you know, I don't. I, I think uh, you you have to have Apex Rogers or something reasonable there. But if something happens to Rogers, he's forty years old. He gets hurt. Something happens. This this team is is this offense is a mess. So I do like the defense though. That is fair. But one one reservation I do have is that um, you know Rogers is not going to get have the help that if something happens or he's playing hurt. Uh, his the uh, the run blocking win rate last year was thirtieth thirtieth out of thirty two teams, and that was with Nate Herbig who's gone. Um, and uh, he was the sixth best in the league in, in his position, uh, and he's not there anymore. So, I and I don't know that they did much to improve that line. So that doesn't help me do uh, inspire a lot of confidence for me for you know Brees Hall coming back on you know one and a half legs. Uh, so I, I for me, I, I if I have to go one way or the other, I'm probably going to go under on the Jets just because I'm higher. I think on the Bills and the Dolphins. Okay, uh, Chris, I'm going to assume you're going to go under because you're also higher on the Dolphins, which kind of makes sense. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to go under. You know, look, I think this Jets team has a lot of talent. Your defense is, is one of the top-tier defenses in the league. I just don't love this coaching staff, and that's going to be a difference for me. Why don't make the coaches put these guys in position to succeed week in, week out? And Aaron Rodgers does concern me. And you talk about the thumb. You know, look how many different guys have had banged-up thumbs and haven't been the same. Russell Wilson, Drew Prescott, Tom Brady last year. Getting a hit in those hands as you get older, if something seems to be a little harder for the guys to get back, I'm not saying Aaron Rodgers definitely isn't, but it's been kind of, you know, hit or miss with some of the guys over recently, particularly with their hand injuries and when they get older. We'll, we'll have to see. But that's going to do it for the show. Drew, thank you so much for taking the time with us. I know we went over today. I hope we didn't crush your schedule a little too much, but we we did great here. I had a fun time. We had a lot of information out. And I love, I love doing these shows from a team profile divisional standpoint because it gives you, I think, more of a perspective on how things are actually going to break down on the actual NFL field and how these guys are going to get utilized and then going to kind of help relate that to when you're comparing them to the players in their own positions on other teams, kind of give you a better idea what their roles will be on their own perspective teams. So that's, that's why I like doing it this way. And that's why I was glad we were able to have you on, but I want you to tell the people where can we follow you at and what's something you got coming up? Sure. I'm Drew DeLuca. I'm on Twitter. I'm Drew Delaware. I'm writing for the QB list. Uh, so we're working on some stuff there. We always do the sit starts and the, what we saw, they're, they're basically uh, breakdowns of who we start in every week, who we're sitting. 
Uh, and then the game breakdowns, the post game breakdowns, we do, we do a lot of great work uh, in delving into the nitty gritty, uh, looking at making it some next gen stats and analysis uh, of what we saw and, uh, and the takeaways from that, that we can inform our, uh, our decisions and going forward as to how to manage your team. So a lot going on there that we love. The, uh, and then also I'll be working with uh, fantasy pros again as a ranker. So um, hopefully I can uh, repeat as top 10. It'll be great, <laughs> but I'll be, I'll, you can find my rankings there as well. Um, and uh, keep them busy and grinding and uh, working on projections right now. So I'll be putting those out uh, through QB list, uh, hopefully in the next couple of weeks. So I'm about probably about a quarter to half way through. Um, and then obviously I'll be tweaking as the, uh, as news continues to break. So I've got some Minnesota Vikings changes to make with, with cook leaving. So, uh, and uh, as the, with a high guy and high ownership of Madison, that makes me kind of happy, at least for the moment. So, uh, so that's, that's kind of what's, what's going on here. So thank you so much for having me on. It's been an absolute pleasure. Absolutely. And any, anytime, man, and you and me both, we'll be grinding those projections for a little while. Chris, you just did a show with Adam. You got another one coming up. We'll be taking a break this week. We'll be following up next week, coming back and continue to give you some tips on the dynasty. We talked about a little bit on this show. Who are the guys you're trying to get your hand on? What are some of the values out there? So take, you know, stay tuned for us and check us out for two in couple weeks. And I just want to thank, you know, having Drew on the show. Drew, you've been amazing on the show. And definitely check out some of his things that he puts out there. I mean, he does a great job of breaking down. I was looking at, you know, some of the teams. You did a fantastic breakdown of the Eagles and off-seasons. You really get a, a full view of the entire team. And I really appreciate you what you bring to the shows and bring to the fantasy world. So thank you. Thank you, Chris. All right, guys, that's going to do it for us. Make sure you download your favorite podcast app. The MD's Fantasy Football Show is widely available to you. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Hit that little bell notification so you know when we have new content available for you, which is pretty much every day because we have this show and then I cut a few clips and all kinds of fun stuff going on. Make sure you follow us on TikTok, Instagram, all those good places. We'll be answering your questions throughout the offseason, throughout the summer, because we got best ball drafts going on. I think there's still some dynasty startups going on, and pretty soon – We'll be at that redraft territory next week. We got Bob Lung coming on the show. He'll be talking about the NFC North. So make sure you guys check that out at 9.30 p.m. next Thursday night. We'll see you guys again next time. 